Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of the award-winning podcast, Entrepreneurs on Fire. And you're listening to the Excelsior Journeys with George Soroy. Prepare to ignite. Is there a burning desire within to share your creativity with the rest of the world? Do you insist on pursuing your passion by any means necessary? Then you are on an Excelsior journey and you are not alone. Welcome back to Excelsior Journeys. My name is George Soroy. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you so much for being here for over 70 episodes. I still can't believe we have gone this far. And there is no sign in slowing down. In fact, we're just going to keep getting better. We're just going to keep getting bigger with everything that that we have going on. I am so thrilled that season three has already exceeded expectations for me. I hope it has done the same for you. And I'm really excited for you to hear this week's episode. This week, I got to sit down with one of the, basically, you would say one of the voices of my childhood because it was Vince DiCola's music compositions that gave life to not only the 1985 film Rocky IV, which everyone knows so well, but also the next year, Transformers the movie, one of the pinnacle movies of my childhood and so many other childhoods as well. I am really, really excited for you to hear this. He's got a lot of great stories to tell. And in fact, there was so much to tell and he only had about an hour with us. So basically it got to a point where he was nearing the end or so of the Rocky Four story and we only had a few minutes left in the show so there was no way that we could really justify having his stories regarding Transformers the movie in there. So Vince has agreed to come back in the future. In fact he's going to be back for what I am doing in August. I am doing a very special miniseries that will be a retrospective of the 35th anniversary of Transformers the movie. The first week, we are going to talk about the development of the movie. The second week, we're going to talk about the voices. The third week, we're going to talk about the music, and that's where Vince comes in. He's going to have lots of stories to tell for that part of the Transformers the movie retrospective. And then the fourth week, it's going to be all about the legacy of the movie. So I am really excited for what's to come, as well as... For all the other episodes that I have lined up, there's so much great material, so many great guests. I am so anxious for you guys to hear it. And I really, really hope that all of you are taking the time to subscribe to this show. That really, really makes a difference when it comes to getting the kind of attention that all of these guests deserve. So please take a look at he's got it.com slash podcasts. And you're going to see up to 13 different platforms where you can Find Excelsior Journeys and subscribe. If you are an iPhone user, please subscribe to the Apple Podcasts app. And if you are an Android user, there are a whole lot of other options. You got Podbean, which is its home base. You have Stitcher. You have TuneIn. You have Spotify. You have Google Podcasts. You have Amazon. You have iHeartRadio. And you got Pandora. How great is that? We got a great interview coming up for you. So please just sit back. Enjoy. We'll be right back after this commercial. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. 
If you've never been an Audible customer and want to see what they offer, just go to www.audibletrial.com slash Excelsior Journeys and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs, download a title for free, and start listening. It's that easy. Why Audible? Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, and entertainers. And with this free 30-day trial, you'll have your pick of it all. You can hear books of all genres narrated by Jim Dale, Stephen Fry, Will Patton, Alex Hyde-White, Jeff Brick, Neil Shaw, William Demerit, and even a few by me, George Soroy. So go to www.audibletrial.com slash Excelsior Journeys and start your own 30-day journey with Audible today. Welcome back to Excelsior Journeys. This is George Soroy, and this is January of 2021, which means that so many of us have finished up with our Christmas movie viewing, and quite a few of us have our own tastes of what we are uh, watching during the holidays. Uh, a lot of people will hear this line, Buddy the Elf, what's your favorite color? A lot of people will hear, Merry Christmas, movie house! Mer a lot of other people will hear, Welcome to the party, pal! But there's one line that always seems to find its way into my holiday viewing, and that is, and now the entrance of the Russian national champion, Ivan Drago, a man with an entire country in his corner, and followed by a very ominous piece of music as Dolph Lundgren as Ivan Drago makes his entrance against Rocky Balboa in the quite the immortal classic Rocky Four, And that music is brought to all of us by our guest this week. Uh, Vince DiCola is someone who has been in my life basically since grade school. Not only did he provide the classic score from, uh, from Rocky IV, but that led him to create the music for some of the most seminal music in all of my childhood, which is from 1986's Transformers, the movie. Uh, we got a lot to talk about for this uh, for this hour. I'm really, really excited that you, that you get to hear from him. I'm really thrilled that he, he gets to be here. And without further ado, allow me to please introduce composer Vince DiCola. Vince, how are you, sir? I'm good. Hi, everybody. And first of all, I need to ask, how are you feeling? Oh, thanks for asking. Uh, yeah, I had a little run in with COVID for a, a week before Christmas, and I was actually in the hospital, uh, you know, for that week and came out uh, three days before Christmas, got a negative test result, uh, was able to spend Christmas Day with my family, which was a great Christmas <laughs> present. And uh, other than having this thing they call COVID pneumonia, which is going to last a while, uh, I'm feeling strong enough to get back to work and, uh, you know, I'm doing okay, all things considered. I, each day I feel a little bit better. That's great to hear. That's great yeah. to hear. I'm so glad that you're still with us. So glad that you're still out there bringing, you know, bringing your great work to the masses. And Thank you. You, Thank you. Uh, you mentioned um, before we started that you have a couple of projects that are in the pipeline. Any you can talk about? Uh, yeah, there's, there's a video game that my partner Kenny Meredith and I are scoring right now. Uh, I can't say the name of it. I can't talk too much about it, but it's mm -hmm. uh, it's it's really exciting. We 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 uh, just finished scoring a trailer for this game and a mm -hmm. two and a half minute this trailer, and we had a blast doing it. And I think uh, you know fans of my music are going to really enjoy what we're doing uh, when I when I can talk about it when the music 
you know, when the game comes out and you hear the music. Um, in addition to that, it, you know, interestingly enough, I got a call yesterday from MGM and, you know, they were doing this uh, uh, director's cut of Rocky Four. And uh -huh. uh, it was supposed to be done and come out last November, but, I, you know, I guess there was some delays due, due to the COVID thing. Um, but I got a call yesterday that they need the music and they're going to start cutting the music in again. So I'm really excited about that. I don't know if I'm going to be asked to write any new music for it, but, um, you know, certainly if they call me, I will, you know, absolutely be there. But um, I'm really excited to hear what Sylvester Stallone, because he's the one that's overseeing it. I'm excited to hear what he's going to do with this music that I created so long ago in uh, you know, it's a it's an amazing thing that we're still talking about Rocky Four in you know 2021. It it really is. Um, and other that other than that, I have a band called Saga Star, and uh, we're recording our debut album. We we actually made a live debut at the Whiskey A Go Go. Now it's been oh. it's been uh, it's been a long time since we did that. Things are moving very slowly. But we had a great time playing live. It actually was a two set night. Uh, Saga Star opened the show and my band uh, was, the, was the headliner and we did music from Rocky and Transformers and a couple of other projects that I've been involved with. So we're putting, we're, we're putting our new album together for Saga Star. And, you know, I have some things coming up that I can't talk about, but it's it's looking like 2021 is a is a a good year, a promising year for projects. Absolutely, I can I can definitely agree to that. And mm -hmm. uh, I got you know I have I have nowhere near like the sort of scope that what you're you're working on, but uh, it's good to hear that a lot of a lot of people really kind of feel the same way that that 2020 was since so many of us were kind of out of commission, we're basically using that time to kind of build ourselves up. So that way in 2021, we can start letting out all of that creative energy that we've been just kind of bottling for Absolutely. so long. Absolutely. Yeah. So one of the things that I like to talk about here, one of the things that, uh, that I, is what I call the lightning bolt moment. There's always that moment whenever someone kind of realizes when they hear something, see something, look at someone, whatever the case, and just say, just kind of point in that direction and say, that's what I want to do. That's the kind of person I want to be. Mm. And for, for music itself in general, what was it that really kind of pulled you in that direction? Well, I was 14 years old. My older brother, Tom, decided to take me or actually ask my parents if he could take me to my first rock concert. And it nice. was at a nearby college called FNM College in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know too much, number one, about rock concerts. I had never been to one. And I right. didn't know too much about the band we were going to see. I just knew that my brother wanted to introduce me to the whole rock concert experience. So uh, we got there and, you know, seeing that that many people there to see one band was my first, you know, lightning bolt. It's like, wow, this this actually happens. It's cool, you know? Yeah. So the opening band comes on and they were very good. I was worried about, I saw these like giant speakers on the left and right side of the stage. And I thought my head was going to blow up, but luckily, uh, you know, the sound was kept to a, a, a reasonable level until the headliner came on. And then of course the volume jumped up and it was uh, a group called Emerson, Lake and Palmer from England. Oh, nice. Yeah. And 
Keith Emerson is a keyboard player. And I, you know, they introduced the band and this guy comes out on stage and we had really good seats kind of right in front of, of uh, Keith. And mm-hmm. he starts playing this music. And I just, I, number one, I couldn't grasp the, the combination of rock and classical that this band did. It was done in a way I had never, never imagined. And that was the lightning bolt moment for me. I knew within two minutes of watching this guy and listening to this band, what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And that really was uh, a defining moment for me. That's fabulous. And then you were able to um, basically just go, uh, did you go to, you went to school to study it, correct? Uh, I did, I only for two years. um, And I majored oddly enough in percussion, not keyboards. Mm. Um, I I had actually played drums in high school in a band and I had played drums since I was like six years old. So uh, I, I honestly, I didn't take the keyboard uh, studies in college because it was a lot more difficult than percussion. So I kind of took the easy way out, yeah. but I, I did not graduate. I, I, I worked with some great uh, professors, some great teachers, instructors uh, in, in percussion. And, uh, you know, I learned a lot about music theory uh, in, in college, um, but I really wanted to, you know, the colleges that I was going to, because my parents were kind of footing the bill, they wanted me to, to, get into teaching eventually. They wanted me to get into a a profession where it was a stable environment rather than, you know, the the, um, unpredictable and and very shaky uh, career of being a a performing and writing, composing musician. Right. But, But so when I was in college for two years, I didn't really uh, connect with it, uh, with it, with a curriculum. Mm-hmm. And I left college much to my parents' chagrin after two years, and I joined a, a band, uh, a cover band. And, you know, uh, yes, it was, it was unpredictable. The money wasn't great at the time, but I learned a lot by doing that. Playing six nights a week, uh, I was able to get my, my playing chops uh, to a, to a uh, very comfortable degree that I was happy with. And from there, I just joined a lot of, uh, you know, I played with a lot of, of cover bands until uh, 19, 1980, mm-hmm. uh, when my, the manager of a band I was in, I remember this, this was another lightning bolt moment, actually. Yeah. Uh, we, we were rehearsing and out back of the rehearsal hall was an alley and uh, Dave, my, my friend and my man, uh, the manager of the band took me out. And he put his arms around my shoulder and we walked down the alley. He said, listen, he said, this is going to cost me my job here. But because uh, because I may not have a band to manage anymore. But I really think you need to relocate to uh, someplace that music is very prevalent. And at that time, there were three places to choose from. There was uh, uh, L.A., New York mm-hmm. and Nashville. And because oh. the music I was listening to, which was at the time, uh, groups like Toto, um, uh, 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 artists and producers like David Foster and Jay Graydon. So like, they were, so they, like, uh, sort of like a progressive rock, right? Yeah. Well, these, these actually were more pop artists. Um, mm. I, I had not wandered away from progressive rock, but progressive rock by that time had kind of fallen out of favor. Um, and I was, it was still on the edges, you know, the edges of my mind and, and, uh, uh 
but at the time in 1980, you know how things changed, uh, circumstances oh, yeah. changed. So there was a long time between when I was 14 years old and, and 1980 came along. So yeah. uh, a lot of the music that I was listening to came out of California. So I chose California and in 1981, my wife and I moved out here. And uh, nice. the rest, as they say, is, is history. <laughs> That's fabulous. That's fabulous. And then there's always that, there's always that uh, that fortunate moment where you get to really kind of um, meet the right person, and yes. that um, that led that led you to meeting eventually. From what I understand, from what I uh, had read about Frank Stallone, correct? Correct. I, mean, I was in a club playing with uh, one of the one of the cover bands I was in called Axis, and it was a it was a. a, a how can I say it wasn't a, a, a busy night and and we were up playing there was very few people in the club but this guy walked in and he looked very familiar to me yeah um, I couldn't I was playing of course so I I couldn't you know jump off the stage and and go introduce myself but when we had a break he came up and introduced himself to me as Frank Stallone and then it connected it like he really at the time looked like his brother and, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, he told me about um, wanting to play live himself uh, as a and he wanted a keyboard player. He wanted to go out as a duo and he mm -hmm. really liked my playing. And he asked me if I would come to his house uh, in the next couple of days to audition just to see how we connect and, you know, uh, hear how I play. Mm -hmm. uh, and I went up a couple of days later to his house. And, um, you know, we just first of all, we just played just jammed a little bit he had an acoustic guitar and he also had a beautiful grand piano there so we just played for a while and he nice. started showing me some of his original material and i really did connect to it and uh that was my first big connection and, and frank and i the way we started our creative relationship is we went out in various clubs in los angeles and played as a duo and frank had his guitar i had a keyboard set up and i sang background so we we harmonized really well together we we knew we were going to do that by the first time we got together we sang together it was yeah it, it was a good thing so yeah frank was the key going to the places i did after i met frank and after i worked with frank for a while and obviously he led me to his brother so that was my big connection as i read up and everything it was not initially rocky four but it was staying alive um, and, uh, so am, am I correct in, in what they were saying that you co-wrote far from over with I Frank? Did. I did. Yes. Oh, that's, I have, I have a collection of all these different eighties movie soundtrack pieces. And so many of them were never, were never really big, like radio pieces, but at the same time, like I always just love listening to them. They're great for when I'm walking. They're great for just kind of getting the heart rate up far from over is on that is on, I think like the first album that I made. That's yeah, great. I truly, truly love love that song. There's um, there's a there's a story behind that song if you care really? to hear it. Yeah. Yeah, of course, of course. Uh, I mean, this really, uh, this really started my career out. This song, uh, and I'll tell you why. Um, first of all, Frank and I were rehearsing at that time. We had gotten a band together, and mm -hmm. so there were four of us, um, five of us rather: the bass, guitar, the keyboards, drums, and Frank. Um, we were rehearsing on a soundstage down on the MGM lot because Frank's brother had arranged for us to, to rehearse there. It was, you know, it was a great experience just doing that because every day, you know, driving onto the MGM lot where so many great movies were made and uh, 
you know, it was kind of a surreal experience for a guy coming from the East Coast, a small town from the East Coast, mm -hmm. uh, to this major music mecca and this major st uh, movie studio. So one day we were rehearsing, and I didn't know this, Frank didn't know this, but uh, Sylvester shows up with his entourage, and this was 1982 at the time. Yeah. So. Uh, you know, he was huge. And, and yeah, Rock, was, Rocky three had just come out. So Rocky yeah, three. And, uh, you know, he was very, very uh, cordial when Frank introduced us to him. Um, but I noticed during the break that Frank and Sly went off into a corner and they were discussing something. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't my business. I wasn't invited to, to come over and, and be involved in that discussion. But after Sly left and uh, after the band, the rest of the band left, Frank said, listen, I got to tell you something. My brother just signed on to do this, to write and direct the sequel to Saturday Night Fever. And it's going to be called yeah. uh, Staying Alive. And I said, oh, that's cool. He mm -hmm. says, well, he said, you know, he can't make any promises to me because, you know, just because I'm his brother. But he asked me if I wanted to write a song or two for, you know, for, for consideration. Mm -hmm. uh, and he very he, he emphasized to Frank, uh, you know, you're my brother. And of course, you know, I'm going to do everything I can to to help you get uh, songs at least listened to. Uh, yeah. But I can I cannot guarantee that just because you're my brother, I'm going to you know automatically put these songs in the movie. You have to write a song or two that is absolutely right, that everybody feels is right for the movie. And mm -hmm. Frank under Frank understood that, and uh, yeah, you know Frank, he basically asked me if I wanted to co-write with him, and you know I had never written a pop song at that point, mm -hmm. and you know I could have said no to him. I, you know my first instinct was to say Frank I had never written a pop song, and but the the smart person inside me said absolutely Frank I would love to do that. There you go. Yep. <laughs> so here's the, here's the funny part of the story and and the interesting part of the story we wrote three songs together frank and i up at mm -hmm. his house just on acoustic guitar and grand piano mm -hmm. and we we wrote another two songs with a friend of frank's named joe esposito oh uh, you're the best yeah yeah joe is yeah yeah that's exactly right and yeah. other projects mm -hmm. um he was also a member of uh, uh, Donna Summers' backup band called Brooklyn Bridge. And Joe, you know, Joe came up to Frank's house and I met him and we got on very well. So we wrote two songs with Joe and Frank and I had three songs, just the two of us. So we had a total of five songs. Frank paid money out of his own pocket to record these songs in a, in a professional recording studio. Yeah. And we spent two days in the studio. We recorded these five songs, felt really, really good about them. And Frank says, okay, I'm going over to my brother. I'm going to, you know, go over to his house and play him these songs. And of course I, you know, was, I, I was on pins and needles waiting to hear what Sylvester Stallone's reaction to these songs was going to be. Mm -hmm. And again, you know, I, the, the, the enormity of the moment did not escape me. I'm, this is within yeah. a, this is within a year and a half of me moving to California, wow. this, you know, I'm working with Sylvester Stallone's brother and mm -hmm. we actually wrote some songs with, you know, Frank and I, and we're submitting songs to Sylvester Stallone for this major promising to be a blockbuster movie. You know, uh, it's, like, you, it's that, like what your manager said, you got to go where you got to go where you need to be. And absolutely. absolutely. He um, was right. 
he was absolutely right and and yeah. quicker than he realized you know I'm, a yeah. lot of people as you know come out here and struggle for you know five ten years before anything happens before they make an important connection mm-hmm. um so i was very lucky and and i didn't that didn't escape me in this whole scenario but yeah. frank <laughs> called me up uh, the next day and he was kind of somber and he said listen uh I hate to tell you this, but my brother hated all five songs. Oh. Hated them. Not just said they're not right for the movie. He hated mm-hmm. the songs. Eesh. And it, it was, I can't tell you the, the level of disappointment. It was like that so close, so far situation, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I was very, very depressed, very, very disappointed. And so I thought that was the end of it. But the next day, Frank called me up. And he said, mm-hmm. listen, I have an idea that I have an idea of the style of song that my brother is looking for. And if I'm right, we didn't deliver the style in the first five songs, in the first group of songs and all the other artists that are contributing to the soundtrack. He said, as far as I know, none of them are contributing a song in this style. Hmm. And I said, I said, well, what, what are you thinking? He says, I'm thinking of up-tempo, rock, um high energy mm-hmm. melodic melodic uh with some, with some theatrical elements to it and that yeah. that was that was frank's description he said listen i'm not going to force you to be involved in this but if you want to write with me if you want to take a, an afternoon uh you know let me come over to your place because at that time i had a little uh studio in the garage of the house that i was living in mm-hmm. um and he said, can I, you know, can I come over to your place? I'll bring my guitar. We have a little, you know, uh, recording device. I can't remember actually what it was at that time. But he said, just just come up with an idea and record this idea. We don't have to, you know, do any kind of, uh, we don't have to go into a professional studio. Let's just see if we can write something along these lines. Right. So he came over the next day. Actually, I told Frank on that in that phone call that I thought it was a waste of time. I said, Frank you know, five songs, not one mm-hmm. song, five songs, your brother completely rejected. I don't see the sense in doing another song. And, and Frank says, I know, but it's just an afternoon. Let's take an afternoon to see yeah. what we, we can come up with. So I sat behind the keyboard. Frank said, you know what? I don't hear this song as needing acoustic guitar. So he says, I want you to just play with those parameters in mind that I gave you in the phone the other day. So and he gave me a tempo, you know, he, he clicked his fingers. He, he said, I want it to be in this tempo. So I just played, you know, maybe for 15, 20 minutes until I arrived at an idea that Frank said, yes. He said, that's a start. That's an intro. Um, just keep playing and we'll come up with other, you know, you, I know you'll come up with a verse and a chorus. And, you yeah. know, probably a half hour later, we had we had the sketch of an idea. Mm-hmm. And long story short that sketch became far from over and uh, when frank uh, we we recorded this on a boom box that we had a you know just this little boom box to record ideas on yeah and the tape the the, the version of the song that we had was not professionally recorded by any stretch of the imagination but frank said i want to take this tape over to my brother's house Mm -hmm. immediately and just playing the idea. I said, Frank, I said, I'm against that idea because it's, it's such a, uh, 
amateur sounding recording, uh, you know, and Frank was adamant. He said, listen, my brother will be able to tell me whether we're on the right track or not. Yeah. So, you know, here's now another waiting, you know, scenario. And, and uh, I really had no faith that this was going to end up in uh, to be a good situation after what we experienced with the first batch of songs. Right. Uh, so I took my wife out to dinner that night and I tried to get my mind off of this, you know, just kind of, I didn't want to get my hopes up. Um, but we came back from dinner and we had this ancient uh, AT&T answering machine. Nice. It has this uh, has this message <laughs> indicator light on it. It was blinking. And that, you know, meant that there was a message waiting. And I said to my wife, Beth, I said, I don't want to hear this message because I think it's Frank and he's probably going to tell me, you know, his brother hated this song now. Right. So uh, she said, well, you got to listen to the message, whatever. It might be somebody else from our family, whatever. So mm -hmm. she went over to she went over to the machine and she pressed play and out of this machine here, the little machine was Sylvester Stallone's voice saying, <laughs> Vinny, he said, home run. He said, this idea is phenomenal. It's exactly what I was looking for. I can't wait to hear the song when it's finished. And you guys just have a blast finishing this song. I have faith that it's going to be great. And oh, that's that, great. that was the big, you know, turnover moment. And the, the, the outcome of this, the best part of the story was after he had um selected the song and okayed the song and was really excited mm -hmm. uh he got the rest of the cast excited he got the the dance instructor the, the choreographer excited the dancers you know we went down to the set one day and they were playing the song over the speakers and they were mm -hmm. choreographing a dance to it and you know it's again think of think of my reaction to this yeah I'm, now i'm down on the movie set with mm -hmm. Sylvester Stallone and John Travolta and uh, a cast of, of dancers and a choreographer. And this was a big, big deal. And it was going to open the movie too. And it was going to open the movie and it was going to be, you know, it was going to be featured. We didn't know at the time how mm -hmm. much it was going to be featured in the movie. Yeah. Uh, but bottom line is, uh, and the point that I'm getting to is, so we had this one song and mm -hmm in the movie and it was, you know, it was very, very exciting. We, we were excited by Sylvester Stallone's reaction and John Travolta came up to me at this, uh, when we were on the set and he said, Vince, he said, I'm, I'm so excited to, you know, to be dancing to this and I think it's perfect for the movie, blah, blah, blah. And it was great. It was just an amazing experience. But a, a couple of days later, Frank called me again and he mm -hmm. said, he said, you're not going to believe that he was laughing. He said, you're not going to believe what I'm about to tell you. And I said, OK, he said, I uh, I went I was with my brother last night. Yeah. And we, and we were discussing music for this film and some of the other artists that were submitting music. And he played me some things by other artists that were submitting and some songwriters and producers that had submitted songs for this, because this was a big move. This was like I say. You know, it's a, it's a sequel to Saturday Night Fever. So everybody yeah. in town wanted to submit music for this thing. So Frank said, you know, I was listening to other stuff and Sly played Far From Over again. He said, listen, he said, this is such a great song. He said, I think I, I have rethought this. And I and Frank was telling me this on the phone. He said, my brother decided to take all five songs that he rejected originally into the movie. So, <laughs> you know, I don't know how in, 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 
<laughs> in three weeks time, it got to the point, it turned around that significantly. But I can tell you, it really was far from over that changed everything. It changed everybody's thinking. And all of a sudden, you know, we were the heroes uh, of, of the music for this thing, for this movie. It gives and, it a little extra autobiographical element, too, that I, I never even heard thought about because, like, I mean, the first line, this is the end after five you know, rejections. I am down, but I am far from over. Like, there that's, you go. There you yeah. go. It, it was it was ironic. And uh, so we had all of a sudden we had six songs in this movie and. Mm -hmm. Uh, we he asked us to write a seventh song. So mm -hmm. at, at the end of the day, Frank and I and Joe and I and Frank for a couple of songs ended up with seven songs in this movie called Staying Alive. Fabulous. And Far From Over ended up starting the movie and, and, and playing for a good, you know, couple of minutes in the start of the movie. Mm -hmm. uh, and then it was featured later in a big dance scene. Yep. So even though the Bee Gees were involved in this movie and everybody was excited about that, it was also ironic that Frank and I ended up having the biggest hit from the movie, even a bigger hit than any of the Bee Gees songs. So, yeah, uh -huh. Far From Over was a major, major um, career starter for me. It, it led to so many other things. That was, And again, keep in mind, this was now within two years of me moving out to Los Angeles. So it right. was wonderful. And even though like the movie is, you know, what it is, it was still, it was still very successful in the box office. Absolutely. Not as, not Quite nearly as successful as the original, but yeah, True. It, was, it did, it did very well. Yeah. But uh, yeah, got, got a lot of attention still. And, um, and that was that your straight line into Rocky four. It helped um, that the, the, the circumstances of Rocky four is another story. And I know we only have so much time and, and I'll, I'll try and give the abridged version of this. Um, my manager at the time mm -hmm. was, also, was also Frank Stallone's manager. And ah. he also was music supervisor for all of Sylvester Stallone's films. Um, so talk about, you know, having a great connection. Yeah. My manager yeah. was, was, a, was a, a, he, he was poised to uh, present material to mm -hmm. Sylvester Stallone. And when the idea of another Rocky movie came up, mm -hmm. Robin, you know, Robin called me and I was one of the first people that he called. So I was one of the first people in LA that knew there was going to be another Rocky movie. Right. Um, and he, he explained to me that Sylvester Stallone and Bill Conti, the gentleman that scored the first three right. Rocky movies had had a falling out. And that's what happened. Okay. I was going to ask about that too. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you would think that, you know, another Rocky movie, Bill Conti, having had much success and, and actually developed the whole Rocky sound musically, yeah. was going was gonna to be invited to score this movie. But apparently they had some falling out. And I don't know what, what the circumstances of that were. But my manager, Robin, said, you don't have a track record as a as a film composer you've never scored a film but you mm -hmm. do have a history as a song composer and mm -hmm. you have a big hit you know a big history an important history with Sylvester Stallone uh, in, yeah. the, in that area so I'm going to suggest something to you and I'm going to suggest that that I present you as a as a for consideration for scoring this movie I said Robin I said 
I I know you you know you're you're close to Sylvester Stallone. I worked with his brother, and he was excited about you know far uh, far from over and all the music and staying alive. Mm-hmm. Let's get you know let's get real. I have never scored a movie, and you're talking about jumping into one of the biggest movie franchises of all time. I just don't see. Yeah. I I don't. He says I know all that. I believe me. I know the chances of this, and I'm telling you as your manager, are very very slim, but. Mm-hmm. Why we have nothing to lose by, you know, going after this idea. So long story short, one day he was in the trailer with Sylvester Stallone when they were on the set of Rocky four. And yeah. it was in, and, and, and Sylvester, it was one of the few moments where Robin was able to get him alone. Mm. And I had done a couple of demos of, of five pieces of music and Robin was feeding me script ideas he you know he as the script was being developed he was feeding me these ideas so i knew because it was a rocky movie there was going to be a training scene obviously mm-hmm. there was there was going to be a fight scene obviously oh yeah um uh and of course there was going to be some tender scenes for rocky and adrian mm-hmm. and and he said i'm going to tell you this and you got to you know keep it a secret obviously for obvious reasons that there's going to be a big uh death scene in this movie of a major character Mm. and so i'm going to ask you you know write some some music with that in mind so i wrote these five pieces of music recorded them as best as i could now they were recorded professionally and they sounded you know robin and i agreed they sounded good enough to present to sylvester stallone in the form that they were in so Mm -hmm. robin was in the in the trailer and he said sly i'm gonna put these headphones on you um, he had a, 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 what was it called? A Walkman cassette player at the time. Old, nice. You know, well, Sony of, Walkman kind of thing. Sony Walkman, you know, one of the first, yeah. you know, really good professional record uh, cassette players. And yeah. he had these, he had these headphones and he said, I'm going to put these phones on your head and I just want you to listen to something. Mm-hmm. And Sly said, well, what is it? He says, I'm not going to tell you. And <laughs> uh, he said, just listen to the, at least if you don't have time to listen to the whole uh, the whole tape listen to a bit of the first piece and it just so happened that the first piece that i had on this tape was training montage and uh-huh. uh within a minute as robin explained the story to me later sylvester jumped out of his chair and said who the f is this and robin said well that's vince DeCola." Mm-hmm. and sly said he called me Vinny. He said, you mean the guy that, that, that wrote with my brother for staying alive? He says, yes. He says, oh my God, this music is perfect. Sign him up. And, nice. you know, when I got that phone call, talk about a uh, uh, lightning bolt moment. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, my wife was there. We were living in an apartment at the time and she heard that it was Robin calling me and she knew by listening to my side of the conversation that it was an important conversation yeah. And, you know, I she knew by the look on my face and I guess the scream that came out of my mouth that I was chosen. You know, I was chosen <laughs> to score this movie. So I remember being so um, I was so shocked. I was really in a state of shock. And I got off the phone. Yeah. And I looked at my wife and I said, oh, my God. Now, what the hell do I do? You know, because. <laughs> I had been, I had just been signed on to, to compose 
mm-hmm. one of the movies in the you know the next movie in the Rocky franchise, and it's it, was, it there was no way I could process that within right. you know a, a, the minute or so that I was on the phone. So from there, it just was it just became this magical experience, uh, and I wanted to tell that story because uh, you know it, it it's it's just a very it, it was a big moment for me, obviously. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, you know, it was, it was, I will tell you, it was a roller coaster um, because we also had a song in that movie called Hearts on Fire and yep. Hearts, on, Hearts on Fire was co-written by Joe Esposito. So we, you know, no kidding. Frank was not involved uh, at all in the music to uh, Rocky Four, but right. he had, he had connected me with Joe and, uh, after my great relationship with Joe and staying alive, I decided to go to him uh, for, uh, I had this music, I had this, this song idea, but I didn't have mm-hmm. any lyrics. And I said, Joe, do you want to write the lyrics to this and maybe sing it? And he, of course, he jumped at it. And we we got uh, a third party involved named Ed Frugier, who ended up being yep. my co-producer on the score. Mm-hmm. So Ed, Ed and Joe wrote the words to the song and Joe sang on the demo. And he's oh. an unbelievable singer, unbelievable yeah. as you as you know. Absolutely, yeah. And I'm and, a fan. And, you know, Joe <laughs> had no preconceptions about ending up singing the song because they were going to have a major artist, uh, you know, somebody with with recognizable name value. Being John, John Cafferty, Cafferty, right? Yeah, Hearts on Fire. Um, but I say it was a roller coaster because songs that had been submitted for this movie, one day they were in, one day they were out. You know, it depends mm-hmm. on. Uh, Sylvester's mood one day, you know, he listens to a song and he gets tired of it uh, after listening to it for so long. And he comes to me and he says, I don't know if I like that part of the score. He said, let's, let's do something else. Luckily, luckily he had people surrounding him that kept him on point and said, look, Sly, you've been hearing this song every day for, you know, weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, Keep in mind that the audience that's coming in to see the movie, they haven't lived with this song. They haven't heard it remember your first impression and that's what the people are going to get so keep the song in you know by all means yeah so at the end of the day yeah i we had we had uh uh, hearts on fire in the movie and that was another big moment for me so the rocky four experience was unbelievable uh it was magical it was uh, obviously it ended up being very successful and oh yeah uh, ended up being, you know, the biggest thing for my career at that point. So I am I am absolutely giddy just like hearing all these great stories about Rocky Four because I have so many friends that hold that movie to like such, you know, such high esteem. And you know, like I even I was telling one one of my best friends that I had this interview coming up and I said, like, what what it was you do? And he's and he immediately just goes like, that's my favorite sequel. I was like, yeah, oh. I know. <laughs> Well, it was the most successful of all the rock. It was. I'm not saying that was because of me, but it was uh, the timing and everything that he did and directing it and writing it were just right for the time. Just, you know, the whole Russia thing and everything. Um, So, yeah, I was lucky to be a part of um, a movie that became the biggest uh, actually, it was the biggest selling soundtrack of all the Rocky movies. And yep, yeah, I, yeah I that's, had... it's, and it's very montage heavy too. Like, there's a lot of oh, there's yeah. a lot of attention being given yes. to these songs. Yeah, I think like yes. two two different ones get to hear like the songs from start to finish. Yeah, like Hearts yes. on Fire and No Easy Way Out. So like, yes. there's a lot of great stuff on there. And a lot um, of great stuff. Yeah. 
I do have I do have to ask one one quick thing regarding the um, regarding uh, Rocky Four. It seems like the versions that are in that are on the soundtrack for the training montage and the actual fight, they're different than what's heard in the film. Were those the ones that were in the soundtrack? Were they like the your audition pieces, the things you would put together originally? Uh, yes, um, I had been lucky enough. I had mentioned Ed Frugier earlier, and Ed yeah. has has a really, really beautiful studio in Lake Charles, Louisiana. And uh, when we had the, the score together and he was, you know, uh, my co-producer, I had met Ed years before that. And we really mm -hmm. got on well together personally and creatively. And I asked Ed, you know, to to be involved with this and write and uh, co-produce, write one of the songs with me. Um, and he said, well, let's go, let's, let's do this. I have a studio in Lake Charles. I also have a connection to a local orchestra that is a great orchestra. Mm -hmm. He said, let's, let's demo up at least two of these songs um, to the point, you know, we'll get them to the production point as far as we can go with, with what we have available to us. So yeah. training montage and war um, were recorded mostly in Louisiana. Uh, we had added some stuff in, in uh, Los Angeles after we recorded everything in Louisiana. Mm -hmm. uh, and they sounded so good. These demos, especially those two songs, sounded so good yeah. that, that when it came time to, just to put, assemble the soundtrack, uh, I, had not put, I had not scored the movie with those, those themes yet. And mm -hmm. um, you know, Sylvester Stallone said, well, can we put these so-called demos mm -hmm. on the soundtrack as they are right now? And I said, I think that's a great idea. So, ah, yeah. yes, it, it was my demos. It was our demos of war and training montage mm -hmm. that we felt were good enough to be on the soundtrack. And that's what ended up being on the soundtrack. Now, when it came time to score the movie, obviously, you couldn't just put these songs in the movie as they were. Um, yeah. You got to, because I had not according to what the action is. Yeah. Yeah. And I had not written them to picture at the time. So, mm -hmm. the, you know, the picture gets finished. It comes to me to write, uh, to fit this theme into the movie. So yes, yeah, some musical changes had to be made, um, mm -hmm. especially with war. I had to add some music. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're two different versions and that's why. Okay, that makes that that makes that makes all the sense in the world now, mm -hmm. and um, and there was even one thing that and you know like um, I know we have you know, like a limited time and everything. I feel like this is going to be basically like part one because I would love to have you back to oh, yeah. talk for you know talk further about this. You know, like when um, when your uh, when your schedule is a little less hectic from everything yeah. that's going on. So we might as well just like kind of finish up here with with Rocky Four and then kind of leading into Transformers the movie, and then we can you know then we can l make that part two. You know, that sounds and, great. That sounds yeah. great. Um, so, and I'm, and I'm, 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 I'm pleased to come back. I would absolutely love to come back and. Do I'm, I'm, I'm so excited because um, I would actually um, just go ahead and suggest real quickly that we can have part two be the um, what I have in mind for the Transformers the movie 35th anniversary retrospective yes. that I'm doing all month of August. Because oh, uh, okay. I because I want to have like you know one. Um, the first week being the development, second week being the voices, third week being the music, and then the fourth week being the legacy of it. Oh, so, that's fantastic. Yeah. So, um, so listeners, you know, just keep in mind, that's what I plan on doing in August. Mm -hmm. So, so, um, so one of the things that I real, I, one of the things that's been just kind of on my mind a lot was kind of thinking about 
when in the the Bill Conti scored movies for the first three, just going yeah. from one through four. Yeah. Um, the very end just kind of it really matches perfectly the way that um, the way that each movie ends yeah. in terms of like right after the fight, because the first one, you know, like Rocky can still stand up, but he's still very kind of shaken. Two, he's exhausted. You know, he's literally popping <laughs> into Mickey's arms. Yep. And the third one, he jumps up and then collapses right in the in the middle of the ring. Yeah. So and so it feels like with the way that Conti scored those, the last uh, chord for those just seems like uh, like almost like an exhale, like it, it goes down, right. just like yes. you know. But at the end of Rocky Four, he's standing up. He yeah. doesn't drop. Right. And you know, like he, he holds up his arms, he's lifted up and everything. And the last part of it of the Conti inspired piece, because there's yeah. very little Conti, you know, music in Rocky Four, but there is that sort of build right at the end. Absolutely. Uh, right before he speaks. And the last line I noticed it goes up. It's yes. like it kind of pushes Rocky even further into this like immortality realm that Stallone yeah. was really pushing him in yeah. this one. Mm -hmm. So that was that was intended. I, I, I take it like it was that's, uh, that's, that's how it came off to me. You know? It, you know, when I saw the picture, the finished picture, obviously it was a triumphant moment. And, yeah. uh, you know, I want to I want to correct you. There was Bill Conti music in Rocky Four. It was just adapted by me. You know, there's right. no there's no way. Uh, how, how can I say this? I knew going into Rocky Four that mm -hmm. I was going to incorporate. I, I absolutely had to incorporate some of Bill Conti's themes because again, they were, oh, yeah. they're, they're iconic. They, they helped establish the whole musical identity of the Rocky franchise. Mm -hmm. So uh, there were bits of gonna fly now and you know, the yeah. main Rocky theme uh, that I used. And that, uh, that was when I got the finished picture of the final scene, I thought, yeah. well, that's gotta be there. That's, that's, yeah. you know, again bringing back the identity of all the rocky movies so mm -hmm. uh, you know it was triumphant and i wanted to give a nod to bill's music and that's what ended up you know that's that's how it ended up that's fabulous I, i'm yeah. again just very just very excited that you know that i get to actually talk to you about this because you know like i'm i I've been a I've been a collector of music scores, of film scores since I was a kid, and hmm. the you know like both Rocky Four and Transformers the movie were shoe-ins to be in that collection, and uh -huh. so, um, so yeah, that's just being able to talk about this and everything means so much to me, Thank um, you. and uh, so, um, so just real quickly, just to kind of like wrap up, you know, like part one, because now all of a sudden. You know, Rocky Rocky Four comes out. It's the huge hit that it, that it is. The yeah. soundtrack is fantastic, and yeah. um, and it's really like um, I do have to ask: Did you um, did you have a part in also like and also kind of producing the soundtrack? Because it sounds like it's it just sounds like there's so much there that's that's that that's you. You know, it, well, uh, let me tell you again. Robin, uh, my manager, was overseeing that that all the all the producers and songwriters and artists that were submitting material for Rocky Four and ended up getting in there. Um, I had nothing to do with any of the songs except Hearts on Fire and my score mm -hmm. material. Gotcha. Uh, so Robin was really the, the point man for um, choosing the the material, presenting it to Sylvester Stallone. He mm -hmm. was he was the guy that was really heavily involved with the the decision making on that. Yeah. I had nothing to do with the other songs. Okay. 
Okay. Yeah. Cause I mean, like there's, there's so much there. That's just, um, I, it, it's, it's, it's still remains for me, like one of the most like replayable soundtracks I've, I've, I've ever owned. So that's, Aww. and yeah, <laughs> again, it means a lot. Um, so once that, so once that comes out and the yeah. soundtrack is what it is and the movie is what it is and everyone is just like really excited. And that's all of a sudden, from what I understand, where, where Joe Bacall and Tom Griffin come into this, yes. into the picture. Yes. And they specifically came to me because they loved the Rocky four score. They yeah. felt that that style would be great for this movie they have in development. Uh, and, and we had a meeting and they told me it was going to be an animated movie. And mm -hmm. obviously there's going to be some major differences between Transformers and Rocky four, but, Oh yeah. Uh, you know, they said there's some themes in there that are, you know, good versus evil. And, and now mm -hmm. all that stuff that's going to, that's, you know, we, we can use. And, uh, they said, would you be willing to, to audition, so to speak for the score? And I said, well, yeah. How would you like me to do that? They said, write a piece of music that mm -hmm. has all these themes, you know, the, the, the antagonist, protagonist, uh, some battle music, uh, some peace after the battle, you know, peace after the war, mm -hmm. um, uh, um, and write a piece of music that has these themes in it. I yeah. said, wow, okay, that's, that's my audition. And I said, okay, that's a, that's a tall order, but, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be happy to do that. And that became uh, legacy, right? That, that became what? the piece legacy. Yeah. And uh, I guess, you know, I don't know how much we should talk about Transformers here in part one, but that's what, <laughs> that, that's what got, <laughs> that's what got me the gig, uh, uh, a piece legacy. Um, I'm, so, I'm so excited for the, you know, for the chance of not only, not only for everything that we've talked about already, but everything that we're going to be talking about in the future. I am just so, so excited. And you're talking to somebody who not only has, you know, the original soundtrack, but also got the um, Lighting Their Darkest Hour album, who got um, the Artistic Transformations album, mm. um, you know, like, which I absolutely love. And it's oh, something that uh, I, I really, really love that. And um, so much, so much fun to listen to. Um, thank you. Yeah, and, and um, I got as as many friends as I have for Rocky Four. I got a whole lot of others that are anxious to hear about Transformers the movie. So I'm really excited that they get to hear all about this. Um, That's great. That's great. So I I am again, you know, like I'm I'm so thrilled for this opportunity to be able to speak to you. I do have one one final question though. Sure. Um, for anyone who wants to get into this field, into film music. Um, yeah into video game music what you've been what you've been doing lately yeah. um what piece of advice do you have for them who want to follow in your footsteps oh boy um it's funny i was asked this question i i, I performed in uh spain uh mm -hmm. last year and i did some um what do you call the classes uh master classes and oh yeah yeah uh i did like two or three of those and somebody came up and asked me that very question, hey, you know, what would you advise? And I, I jokingly said, do not do it, you know? And, and the reason I said that <laughs> is because it's it's so competitive. Um, mm -hmm. Even since I was involved, it's just so many composers. And uh, I, I, don't, I, can, I don't have any, any business advice to give, mm -hmm. except know that, you know, take business classes if you can, you know, obviously you want to study the music business, but right. my advice is with all the composers and all the music, you know, think about all the music that's come out since 
Rocky Four and all that stuff mm-hmm. in, in in other movies. And you got you know you got Hans Zimmer who who had uh, he still has a whole stable of composers. And oh yeah, there was a time when all these composers. You know, it's like it's like Hans Zimmer had 65 percent of the music in Hollywood. I mean, really, with all the composers that he had doing music. Plus himself. <laughs> plus himself, actually. And, yeah. and there was, you know, all of a sudden it was a Hans Zimmer sound and he took over yeah. Hollywood. And I said to my advice in, in to this this gal in Spain um, and my advice to everybody that wants to get into composing. Try to find your own voice. In, yeah. in the music that you write don't don't say well i'm gonna you know i have all this great technology i'm gonna write something like Hans zimmer you know that's very tempting to do and i actually started out doing that uh with my my partner kenny we 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 had influences and we copied those influences and it took a while for us to develop our own sound so my yeah. my advice to any composer is even though it's so tempting and it's hard, it's very difficult because so many, there's so much great film music out there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really hard to do this, but number one priority is try to develop your own voice. Try to get your own thing happening. Take yeah. chances. Don't be afraid to, you know, there's going to be, uh, there's going to be a lot of failure. Uh, there's mm-hmm. going to be a lot of, uh, of rejection. Um you have to develop sort of a thick skin. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could tell you so many stories about, you know, my failures and my moments of, of complete uh, depression and, and disappointment and discouragement. Mm-hmm. But I was one of the lucky ones in having the success that I did early on in my career. Yeah. So I, my advice to composers today is don't expect that to happen. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that, that was an abnormal situation. Uh, be prepared for a lot of failure, but number one, when you write your music, at all costs, try to find your own unique voice in that music. The man said it himself right there. Find your own voice. You bring out what is inside you to the table because that is really the only thing that everyone else doesn't have. They don't have your voice. They don't have your vision. All right. I told you. This was a great episode. I told you this was a great interview, and I am so excited for you guys to hear more. So we're going to get back to the interview for the closing in just a few moments. But first, we're going to hear from some of our submissions that have come in from listeners regarding their creative New Year's resolution. Remember, any submission that you send me for the monthly question, it's going to go at the end of each episode. So... I got a few here that I'm ready to play. There are still a couple more episodes left for this month. So please, if you have a creative New Year's resolution, go ahead and send it in. Would love to hear it. Hi, George. This is Lionel, writing professionally as L.R. Laverty Hansen. My New Year's resolution, among others, involves finding more creative avenues for my output. Uh, I'm currently working on a video commentary on the popular Canadian situation comedy, Schitt's Creek which I hope to have uploaded onto YouTube by the end of this month. Wishing everyone a great and very successful new year. Thank you. Hi, this is Mike in Connecticut. My creative resolution for 2021 is to try to take the restrictions that we're living under in these bizarre, sometimes monstrously weird times, 
and turn those restrictions into ways that I can do something creative and constructive uh, to make a positive difference. Um, if, if I'm going to be trapped in my house for months on end because of, of a pandemic, I'm going to use that time to, to write and to try to write things that will uh, help that will give people comfort during these times. And, uh, you know, who knows, maybe um, influence some sort of positive change so that we can uh, make a better future for everyone. Um, so, yeah, so that's that's what I'm going to try and do. And that's that's what I encourage everybody else to do, too. Hey, George, this is Jerry from Connecticut. Like a lot of parents, I've been putting what I need to do creatively behind what I need to do for my family, especially for supporting my family. My goal for this year is to make that a priority, not more than what I do for the family, but certainly up at that level. Thanks so much for all of the inspiration. Love the show. I hope that all of you who are listening to this and will continue to listen to not only the rest of this conversation that we will have in the future, but also all the ones that are going to be coming before and after that. All about exactly what Vin said, find your own voice and bring that own voice to the table. And so for Vince DiCola, for part one of this conversation, this is George Soroy saying to all of you, ever upward. And I will see you next week. Thank you, guys.